So you can see that I'm staying up here, which means that uh, I, am, I am preaching today. And I am, I am very honored. I am thankful just to be here today to bring to you the truth of God's word, his faithfulness to us, and just proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to you this morning. Uh, Pastor Paul, uh, he is away. He's, uh, I, I do understand he'll be back next week. And just as I just say that, I, my heart just swells up with us just to really be to a call of praying for the Gilberts, praying for Pastor Paul, praying for our leaders. But when I think of just the blessing that the Gilberts are to our church family, the leadership that Paul provides, the role he plays, it just always reminds me to encourage everyone to keep him in prayer and keep his beautiful family in prayer. So he will be back um, next week, Lord willing. And um, we are in a new series. We're kind of taking a pause from Genesis. Uh, We are going to be in the book of Revelation for uh, the next uh, six weeks. And particularly what we're going through, if if you're not aware, we are going through the seven letters to the seven churches in chapters two and chapter three. And it's just a wonderful reminder of just the, the love that Jesus has for his church. We commonly we hear that Jesus referred to as the bridegroom, uh, the church referred to as his bride. And we, are just, we just see throughout this, throughout this text today, we see throughout the scriptures we'll go through over the coming weeks, that Jesus pursues, he loves, he is passionately in love with his church. And I pray that you were encouraged by that reality, not just today, but in the weeks to come. So I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open it to Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And can I just invite us to stand this morning as we read the Word of God, if you're willing and able. In chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And to the angel of the Lord in Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. May God bless his reading of the word. May he help us apply these words to our lives for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the sermon this morning is A Loving call to suffer. A loving call to suffer. Polycarp was born in 69 AD. He was the disciple of John, the John who wrote the book of Revelation that we're going through now. He lived to be 86 years old, and for the second half of his life, he served as the bishop of Smyrna, the church we're reading about today. Polycarp kept a close watch on his life and doctrine. He was highly respected by those he pastored and he cared for. And he died a martyr's death in 155 AD. 
Now, after he died, the, the church in Smyrna sent out a letter to other believers in the region to encourage them in the face of persecution to hold steadfast to the word of God in the gospel they proclaimed. Now, as Polycarp, as he was being taken to the arena to face the death that was before him, we find from accounts of this that a voice came to him from heaven. The voice said this, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And no one saw who had spoken these words, but the brothers and sisters in Christ who were there, they heard the voice. And then when the crowd that was there heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The mighty Polycarp had been captured. And he was about to face what he, what they deemed he deserved. As he was in the arena, the proconsul there asked him, whether or not he was Polycarp. And on hearing that he was, the proconsul tried to persuade him to apostatize, saying this, Have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Caesar, repent and say, Down with the atheists. Now Polycarp looked around. He looked grimly at the wicked, heathen multitude in the stadium Instead of doing what the proconsul asked, he, he looked at the crowd and, and extended his hands to them and responded, Down with the atheists. Very much going against what was expected. The proconsul goes on to say, Swear, reproach Christ, and I will set you free, promising freedom. But Polycarp responds, was this. 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Frustrated, the proconsul goes on to say, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp's response, call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad to be changed from evil to righteousness. Proconsul goes on to say, if you despise this anim- these animals here, I will have you burned. Polycarp's response, you threaten me with a fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire, of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. So soldiers, they then grabbed him, They grabbed him to nail him to the stake. But Polycarp stopped them. He says, leave me as I am. For he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved. Without security, without the security you desire from these nails. So they bound him. They bound his hands behind him like a distinguished ram chosen from the great flock of sacrifice. Ready to be an acceptable burnt offering to God. Polycarp looked to heaven and said these words, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, powers, and every creature uh, of all the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your your martyrs. 
sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. Words spoken by a man who knew his Christ, who knew the victorious Christ, and who knew that he was saved from the second death, that he would be with Christ for all eternity. Now, Polycarp's death was among the first recorded Christian martyrdoms. His steadfast obedience to Christ was a powerful testimony and inspiration not only to the church he pastored so faithfully in Smyrna, but to Christians throughout the centuries. Now, it is true that Polycarp's death occurred a number of years after John's writing of what we're reading here. So I don't want to bring this account too much back into what we are reading here in chapter 2. But I do think the story of Polycarp can help ground us. It can help connect us to the type of suffering and the subsequent fear of suffering the church in Smyrna was experiencing. You see, the story of Polycarp, it grounds us. It also grounds us to a response of faith in the face of death, which is something the passage this morning speaks to. But let me be clear. Today's sermon is not a call for us to be Polycarp or place him in the heroic acts in the final moments of his death on a pedestal. But instead, I want to draw our hearts close to the very words of Jesus himself that we read here in chapter 2. These words that consist of a pronouncement of what is, what is to come, but then is also followed by two loving commands of our Savior which are this, do not fear and be faithful. Now, reading through Revelation and preparing, uh, you know, Pastor Paul recommended this book uh, to us, to, to me. It's called Unveiled Hope. It's by Pastor Scotty Smith, and it's also by Michael Card. It's, it's a wonderful book I commend to you. It's a commentary, but yet it's a devotional And it's a wonderful read through just the the mysteries of what we find and what we see in the book of Revelation, but actually points to the truth of what we find there is that in Jesus Christ, we have victory because he has victory. And as I read through this book, and um, I I came across just a wonderful summary of what we find here in chapter 2 and what, what Jesus is calling the church in Smyrna to. Basically, it says... This is quoting Pastor Smith. It says, You have suffered much for me. You will suffer more. Fear not, for I am in control, and I love you. Do not fear and be faithful. These two loving commands of Jesus will be what guide the sermon today, but they also speak to the main point of the sermon, which is this. It's the big idea for us today, and that is this. It's the command of God. The command of God is the grace of God. What God commands of us, he provides us the way to follow that command, to be obedient to that command, to find life in whatever we are called to. Even what we find here in the words of Revelation, do not fear and be faithful. God's grace is present to not find fear. God's grace is present to be faithful no matter what it is we face. So I believe God is saying to us this morning, through do not fear and be faithful, he is saying, my grace, my grace abounds for you. It abounds for you to be obedient and endure in the shadow of whatever you find yourself facing today. 
whatever I find myself facing today. What are you suffering today? What is the trial you are facing? What is the hardship? What is the question? What is the unanswered prayer you feel that continues? What is the struggle? God's words to us today are, be faithful and do not fear. You see, when we see and read these words of Christ, we really understand the love that is behind them. And these two commands, do not fear and be faithful, do not fear. It's a loving command from a knowing Savior. Be faithful. It's a loving command of a victorious Savior. And these are the two points I want us to dive into today. Understanding the love, the loving command of a knowing Savior, and the loving command of a victorious Savior. Our knowing Savior. We find here in, 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 in God's word that we see that Smyrna, and as you read through the seven churches, you find that Smyrna is, is one of two churches, one of the two churches that Jesus does not rebuke, both Smyrna and Philadelphia. What Jesus has for them are words of encouragement, words of encouragement through what they are enduring through, persecuting, or through the persecution they are, they are facing. I think what we can take from this is as we go through each of the other churches, last week we went through Ephesus, and, and the rebuke that Jesus had for them was that they had lost their first love. And the call to the church was to repent and come back to Christ. I think what we can, what we can see here is that Smyrna knew their first love. They knew Jesus Christ. That was who they were following. They were deeply connected to him. And as you read and we hear about the, the other churches and, and understand the rebukes that Jesus had for them, we can, we can sit here and read and say that Smyrna was faithful in these things. The other thing about Smyrna and Philadelphia is that of all the churches, they are the smaller and the weaker and the, and the poorer of the seven. And it points to the always paradox we find in Scripture is that despite the fact that one may be uh, poor, may be weak, in Christ, we are rich. In Christ, we are strong. And Jesus is pointing this out. So we can assume that Smyrna is being faithful to all of what Jesus rebukes the other churches for. Jesus is their all. Jesus is their everything. And as they are faithful to this, what is the result? What are they encountering? They're encountering persecution. Encountering the persecution encountering suffering. It speaks to the words that Jesus calls of us to take up your cross and follow me. The reality for us is we follow Christ. We are going to endure the sufferings that he has endured. We're going to share in his sufferings. The, the walk of a, of a disciple is going to be filled with hardship, but yet we are called to follow nonetheless. So we see here in Smyrna that the, the suffering endured is the persecution. It's at the, end, it's at the hand of their own people, the Jews. The Jews that are persecuting them. Who Jesus refers to as a synagogue of Satan. And one thing to keep in mind, too, that this is not a type of suffering. This is not a type of Jonah suffering, if you will. This is not a suffering due to disobedience. This is due to the faithful walk of this church in Smyrna. And just as Jesus says, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We see this in Matthew 5.10. 
So the loving command of a knowing Savior, what does this speak to us about Jesus in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of what we will face when it comes to hardship? What we find here in verses 9, Jesus says, I know your tribulation. I know your tribulation. He knows their poverty. But yet in the same breath, we see he's saying that they are rich. They under, he understands the slander, the persecution that this church is facing. Jesus knows. And I want us to hear this morning that and whatever you're facing this morning, Jesus knows what that is. Not only does he know, but he is present. He is present. And understanding that Jesus' encouragement to not fear it comes with his presence with us, his peace that abides with us, but also knowing what it is that we suffer. We go on to see in verse 10 another reality of this knowing Savior. We see that he is sovereign. In verse 10 it says, Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. A specific moment of time is spoken to the church of their suffering. A specific time of endurance. What does this say to us? It says that Jesus is Lord over our suffering. He is the one that dictates. He is the one that is in control. Despite what we see here, despite the reality of what the church in Smyrna is facing, despite the fact that Satan is at work in the hearts of these Jews who are persecuting them, causing all types of slander. And Jesus says that the devil is about to throw you into prison. Despite the fact that the devil is at work, what we see here is that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And there is a time. There is, there is something that, that shows that there is something at work in a sense of a purpose. There's something of a plan. There's something that can be trusted in. But it also points to the greater reality is that our suffering, our hardship, it's limited. It's temporary. Why? Because we have the promise of what? We have the promise that if we are in Christ, we will be with him for all eternity. We will share in his glory. And I think what we also need to see here is that in our perspective, this, this helps us to really back up and see the eternal perspective of what is at work, that there is a plan at work, that God is sovereign over this work, that God is going to be Lord and be victorious over this work. Whatever the work is in your life right now, whatever the hardship, I want you to hear that it is temporary and that there is a hope that we can have in Jesus Christ to place and fix our eyes upon, set our hearts upon, and endure and walk in faith. Because Jesus knows he is present and he is Lord. We also know this, that Jesus is our example. He's our example in suffering. I think it's safe to say, and I'll speak for myself here, that when we think of suffering, when we think of the hardship we endure, how close is temptation? How, how closely does temptation come into play when we are experiencing the thing that we don't want to, the pain that is there? 
for me, the main thing is just really having an attitude of this being not just unfaithful, but lacking belief in who God is. How is, it that, how is it possible that God can be present in the pain that I'm enduring? How is it possible that God can be orchestrating all the events that seem so hopeless? But what are we called to do? Believe in the promises of God. How is this, how is this so? We see it in Jesus, in his walk on this earth, his ministry, when he he, just after being baptized, went into the wilderness and experienced immense suffering and trial and temptation, but yet was faithful to his heavenly Father, was faithful to the word of God, and he endured and he followed the path that God had laid for him. That is our example. But more than that, in Hebrews four fifteen and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus has experienced the ultimate suffering. He has died a death that was undeserved, that was, that was completely filled with slander, that was murder. Yet he faithfully walked because, why? Because the Father had a better purpose in mind, a greater purpose, and that so his elect, his, his children could be with him. It points to the greater reality and perspective that we need to have in the midst of our suffering. That there is an eternal plan, eternal purpose at work that we cannot fully see or fully understand, but that we are sharing in and that we will share in the treasures as well. So this example we have in Christ, it's, almost, it's also an invitation that we have from Christ where he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have the example, but we have the hand extended to us from Christ to say, Come to me. I know you're suffering, but I have suffered. Take my yoke upon you, and I will see you through this to the very end. And I will always be with you. So what we see here in this, in this command of do not fear from our loving and knowing Savior, that we are to believe upon the promises of God in the midst of our fear, that we are to trust in what God tells us, and that we are to draw close to him. And praise be to God that we are able to do this because of the work, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Be encouraged in this this morning. Do not fear. We also see this loving command of a victorious Savior. The command is this, be faithful, not just faithful by itself, but faithful even unto death. See, as you read Jesus' letter here, as you read his words to the church in Smyrna, you encounter a Savior, just as we discussed. We encounter a Savior who is compassionate, he is tender, he is intentional with his love to his beloved church who is suffering. But you see, it doesn't end there. As we find comfort in the midst of our fear, we also find this, that we see in verse 8 where Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. 
The command we have from Christ, it is of this. It's an internal, it's the command of an eternal and victorious Savior. So when you hear these words, when you read these words, be faithful unto death. These are the words of someone who is victorious, someone who has conquered, someone who has endured, someone who has died the death. But what we know from God's word is that he is alive. He conquered death. You see, there's one word that we can take away as we go through this, this, these passages in Revelation, as we see the, um, the letters to the churches. And even as you go through the entire book of Revelation, you're going to see and feel this word present with you, and that is this, victory. We serve a victorious Savior. This is the theme of Revelation. It's about our victorious and conquering Savior. He wins. And the truth is, he has already won. Are you believing that today? Are you believing the truth that Jesus has won? In Revelation 5.5, we see this. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has what? Has conquered. In Revelation 17, 14, they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. In all these letters we will go through, we see these words. We see how to be the believer is to be a conqueror. And how the believer is not to be conquered. We see this at this, the very end of this letter. In verse 11, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers. The one who conquers. You see this in each of the letters, but it's followed by a promise. In particular today, the promise we see here is that the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And that is because of the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death. So again, the specific promise of not being hurt by the second death. And again, we get to the perspective of what that means for us in all eternity. When the things that are troubling in our lives, when the pain is there, when, whenever the hardship is there, we know that we can walk with endurance. Just as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we can be victorious. We can conquer seeing this example, but also knowing this, of what we find in Philippians chapter 2, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. Praise God. That the one who commands us to be faithful where is he? That, that he is at the right hand of our heavenly father. He has conquered. I pray that this is an encouragement for you right now. My prayer this week has been, has been for all of you. 
our church. We go through hardship. We go through trials. But what we have here in this example is that we serve a Jesus that knows our suffering and that he is a victorious Savior. So getting back to our main point, that the commands of God or the grace is the grace of God. We can be comforted knowing that as we follow these commands, that God's grace will abound. As we, as we move just to, to close our time, as I've been praying, as I've been thinking about us as a church, there are just a couple of application points I really wanted to provide for you. I wanted to encourage you in. I wanted to exhort us in as a church. We need to be praying for the persecuted church. I learned this recently, actually this past week, that that the fact is, is that there have been more martyrs in the 20th century church than the preceding 19 centuries combined. That is a hard thing to understand and even fathom, but it is, it is an amazing reality, an amazing truth that should point us to the understanding that this is a reality for the church today. We don't necessarily feel it as much here in America but it is the reality in the world around us to be praying for the persecuted church. Again, I invite you to join us on July 28th to hear Eric and Christy share their frontline story, their testimony of what God is calling them to and, to, and, the, and how they're being faithful in it and how we as a church, we can join them in praying for them and what they face, what they see. It's a reality that is quick, that can be so easily forgotten about. It can be so easily put aside. But what I encourage us to is to really understand that the persecuted church exists and we need to be praying for them. As I've gone through this, I've, I've of course, just been thinking of my own life, been thinking of the things that, that I am facing, the, the challenges of my own faith, and I can share with all the parents in here that, that parenting is, is one of the most difficult challenges and jobs that one could have. But I believe from the passages today, what we see, a command, an exhortation for us, is that we are to not be afraid for our children. Do not be afraid for them. But be faithful to them, leading them to the truth of the gospel, praying for them, guiding them and leading them. I have five children. I remember my firstborn. I remember the, the state of the Pfeiffer house about the time that he was born and just like all the newness of that and all the, 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 the running around and making sure we had every tool available to us to make sure we had a successful child and a safe child, the best crib, the best stroller, the best car carrier. I mean, everything, right? Oh, my gosh. That quickly goes, that, all of that just goes to the side, right? I mean, one of the things you realize is that you're, as you're raising your kids, as we, as we follow them, as we see them grow, that the path of a parent is to be constantly letting go. Constantly letting go and releasing and seeing God work in their life. 
it is true that by the fifth child, I mean, the, 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 you know, the delivery, the time, it was more of a party than it was just, you know, um, oh my gosh, what is happening? I mean, it wasn't a party for Shannon, but it was, it was, uh, it was just, it was just a funny time. It was just like, yeah, man, we've been here before and put the FSU game on. It really happened. I didn't ask for it. Shannon did. And I said, sure, I will obey whatever makes you happy. But even as we go through the experience and we gain experience, the fact is, no matter how old our children, no matter how old they are, we are constantly called to be their parent and we are constantly in a place of letting them go to see the work of God in their life, to proclaim the name of Jesus to them, to be there with them, to suffer with them. And that's what I want us to hear. I think as parents, we need to understand that we are called to not just suffer alongside them, but I think we need to be called to know that, that they need to see our suffering and where, where it's appropriate, of course, to let them be joined and let them see our response and how we follow Christ through that, how we are faithful, how we, how we need to depend upon him. I think it's okay sometimes to let them see us afraid, to see us needy. to see us on our knees before God. So release, 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 and give praise to God when it comes to your children. The third thing for us, I think, is that we need to understand that we do not suffer alone. How true is it that when we suffer, We feel like we are isolated. We feel like we are abandoned. We feel like we are forgotten. This past year for me has been a journey like I have never had before of understanding the realities of what this means. I've always been the guy to join in the suffering, to join in the prayer, to want to know how you're doing, how things are going, but I have always struggled with letting other people into what's going on with me. Where am I hurting? What am I struggling with? What am I ashamed of? What am I fearful of? So much of my past has dictated that, just growing up in a household where I was rejected, where I was abandoned, where I was abused. All of the things that just said to me, you are not worthy of love. And how much I just kept that to myself and how much I just lived a life of just putting that in the past, not embracing it, not seeing that it was part of the story that God was writing in my life so that I could be redeemed and give him glory, but yet not letting others into that reality. My encouragement, my exhortation to you is that as you suffer, it is true, you are not alone. We have Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our knowing Savior, our victorious Savior. He is with us, but look around you. The body of Christ is with you. The body of Christ is meant to be an encouragement, to uplift, to follow together, and to suffer together. And I encourage you, if you have not already investigate, seek out the ministry we have with our redemption group ministry that Pastor Scott leads. Wonderful, wonderful, God-glorifying things have happened as a result of this ministry. God, lead, uh, God leading that ministry, God calling a group of people to pour in and to suffer with others and give hope to the God that we serve in the Christ who is our Lord. Don't suffer alone. 
We find this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The church is called to suffer together, to suffer, join in Christ's sufferings. Finally, for us this morning, I want you to hear this, is that death is not the enemy. It's so easy to live our lives in such a way where we are simply just trying to avoid death. We're trying to avoid pain. We're trying to avoid the fact as we look in the mirror, we're getting older, that we try to avoid all the things that come with life, but ultimately are pointing to what? That we someday will eventually die. The truth is that death is inevitable for all believers and non-believers alike. Here's the thing we misunderstand. It is the second hellish death that is avoidable. The promise to us by Jesus himself, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. As we endure as we follow the path God lays before us with whatever that, that consists of in this life, we have eternal hope because of the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross over death and sin that we will be with him for all eternity. What I exhort you to today is to let that shape your reality and perspective. It says in Ephesians 2 chapter 10 that we are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are God's unique creation? The one with which he is writing a story that he is he is molding, he is shifting, he is he is growing. He is at work in your life and there is hope that we have in Christ through it. I'll conclude with this. Dane Ortland, he puts it this way. It's a wonderful reminder for us. It says, For a Christian, death is an enemy, but an enemy we need not fear. For all it can do is usher us into final rest and peace. And one day, for those united to a resurrected Christ, we will be given back our bodies, as earthy as ever, but this time invincible. And all the ravages of death will be rewound and undone. Since Jesus rose from the dead and we are in him, our own death work will work backwards. The scars of this life will themselves become part of our final beauty and dignity. Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the formal things have passed away. We serve a victorious Christ. Let that be your hope this morning, whatever you are facing, and know today that you are not alone in what you are facing. Let's pray.